This afternoon I proclaim God's word to you as the church confesses it in Lord's Day 11 of the Heidelberg Catechism. In connection with that, we'll read from the Gospel of John, John chapter 14. John 14, 1 through 14. Hear the word of God. Our Savior is speaking here at the beginning of the chapter. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So far, the reading of Holy Scripture. This afternoon, I proclaim to you God's word as the church confesses it in Lord's Day 11. This Lord's Day deals with one of the articles of the Apostles' Creed, where we believe in Jesus Christ. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, Savior? Because he saves us from all our sins, and because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. Do those who seek their salvation or well-being in saints, in themselves, or anywhere else, also believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No. Though they boast of him in words, they in fact deny the only Savior, Jesus. For one of two things must be true. Either Jesus is not a complete Savior, or those who by true faith accept this Savior must find in him all that is necessary for their salvation. So far, our confession. After the sermon, we'll sing hymn 28, 1 and 5. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we sometimes say that 
someone has lost their way in life. We sometimes also say that someone has found their way in life. Well, the truth of the matter is that each one of us has lost our way in life. We lost our way in life when we fell into sin and departed from God's way. That's when we wanted to go our own way. And we brought brokenness and sin upon ourselves. Now, I cannot say this afternoon that we have found our way. We have not found our way ourselves. God had to find us. When we fell into sin, we ran from God. God wanted to exercise fellowship with his creatures, and he came to the garden, but the man and the woman ran. And God called out, where are you? And God pursued the man and the woman, reached out to them, and preached the gospel to them, and told them about the way of salvation. So God found us. And because God has found us, we have found our way, because God has shown us the way. Jesus is the way of salvation. And that's what we're focusing on this afternoon. He saves us from all our sins. And secondly, salvation is in no one else. The name of Jesus encapsulates the whole gospel. Our confession explains the meaning of that name when it asks that question about the name Jesus. Why is the Son of God called Jesus that is Savior? So that's the meaning of the name Jesus. And the answer is because he saves us from all our sins and because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. So Jesus means Savior. And of course we see that name Jesus as a very special name. No one of us would dare to name a boy, Jesus. But in the Old Testament times, and even in the New Testament times, there were people with that name. In the Old Testament times, the equivalent was the name Joshua, which means the Lord saves. And even you boys and girls here this afternoon, you know about that Old Testament Joshua. He was the man who led Israel into the promised land of Canaan. He led them, as it were, to the other side, to that land of milk and honey, that land of freedom and prosperity. And he did that as a foreshadowing of what the great Joshua would do, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has opened the way for us to that heavenly Canaan. In the New Testament, too, we encounter a couple of people who had the name Jesus, and they bore that name because their parents gave them that name in anticipation of the coming Savior. It was a name expressing their hope and expectation. 
Jesus, that means Savior. But I want you to notice this afternoon how the Catechism formulates that question. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, Savior? Do you know what we're confessing there by way of the formulation of the question? That in itself already expresses a confession about our Christology. Do you know what we're confessing there? We are confessing by the very formulation of that question a Christology from above not a Christology from below. The question is, why is the Son of God called Jesus? So the Son of God is called Jesus. It's not that we're saying that there was a man long ago who was elevated to some kind of divine status because of what he did and because of what he taught. That would be a Christology from below, as if we made Jesus who he is. because we saw something special in him. It's a Christology from above. The Son of God came into this world, born as one of us, flesh of our flesh, bone of our bone, born in Bethlehem. He came, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. They gave him the name Jesus because the angel said, you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So the Son of God came from heaven, and our Christology comes from above, not from below. That makes all the difference in the world. And Jesus was not just some teacher of great universal truths, whom we came to acknowledge as someone special and elevated to a pedestal. He came from heaven, and he emptied himself to become that suffering servant, to be our Savior. This is what the Bible teaches. Let's just stick to the Gospel of John for that this afternoon. John begins like this in, first, in chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then it goes on to say in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is saying, The Son of God came from above into this world and became incarnate. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. They saw it there on the Sea of Galilee, when the Lord Jesus stepped into the boat and the storm was stilled. That was no human accomplishment. That was Jesus Christ showing that he has divine power over all things. They saw his glory. And John also makes it clear in his gospel a little later, when he says in chapter 8, verse 23, quoting Jesus, as he was speaking to God's people, he said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. And then, in verse 26, our Savior went on to say, 
I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Our Savior spoke about the one who sent him. So he came from above. It's a Christology from above. Now, how would Jesus be our Savior? You children, do you know? Well, we read in Matthew chapter 16 that our Savior told his disciples as they approached Jerusalem. We read it like this in Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. That's how Jesus Christ would be our Savior. He was heading toward the cross. And he spoke those beautiful words in John 14 on his way to the cross. And he said, let not your hearts be troubled. He was going to leave. But he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Those words have given immense comfort to so many Christians throughout the ages. Our Savior said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and I will take you to myself. You will be where I am, and you know the way to where I am going. But then Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made crystal clear that he is the way and the truth and the life. I am the way because he was going the way of the cross. And he would open the way to the Father by way of his very person, by suffering and dying for us. He would open the way for us into glory. The writer to the Hebrews puts it like this in Hebrews chapter 10 when he writes about that perfect ministry of Jesus Christ and speaks about what he has done for us by his one atoning sacrifice. He says then in Hebrews 10, 19 and following, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The writer to the Hebrew says that new and living way to the Father is through the flesh of Jesus Christ. 
He would lay down his life on the cross so that we might have life. And in that sense, our Savior said to his disciples, I am the way. He would open the way for us by his death and resurrection. And he is the truth, because Jesus Christ has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. He told us everything that we need to know about our salvation. He laid it out to his disciples and to the people of Israel. He referred to the Old Testament scriptures and showed them that he is the fulfillment of all those promises. In fact, in John chapter 14, he tells them, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So Jesus Christ spoke the very words of God, and that's what a prophet does. He speaks the truth in the name of God. And that's what our Savior did, his whole ministry. He showed them that he is the way and the truth and the life. And then I think of John chapter 10, where our Savior spoke about being the good shepherd, and he spoke about the sheep, the people of God. And you know how much compassion the Lord Jesus had for the sheep. We heard it this morning when all those people followed him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He was moved to compassion because he saw that they were sheep without a shepherd. In John chapter 10, we hear the Lord Jesus speaking about himself as the good shepherd, and he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Eternal life. That's abundant life. People think today that life is about having a good life on this earth. And yes, that's a blessing, and we may enjoy it, but it will end. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And our Savior showed it when he multiplied the five loaves and the two fish. We heard it this morning. He gave them abundant food. He showed them that there is abundant life in him, that they will lack no good thing, that we as people are safe and secure with him because he gives us life and he gives it abundantly. And he did that by paying for all our sins on the cross. He saves us from all our sins, all those many sins, those sins that you may be very ashamed about. He saves you from them. No matter how many sins you have, no matter how great your sins are, and there are sins that God's people have hidden deep in their hearts that bother them for years and years. And I've met Christians in the churches who say, I don't know if God will want me. There are Christians in our churches who wonder whether there will be a place for them. Our Savior said, I go to prepare a place for you, but there are people struggling with their sins and wondering that when Christ prepares a place, whether he'll prepare a place for them. 
Those questions are real. But the message of the gospel is that Jesus is the way of salvation. He saves us from our sins, and he saves us from all our sins. As it says in Psalm 103, he removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. He has compassion on us as a father pities his children. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because he has punished our sins in his own beloved son, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. And so no sin or weakness which still remains in us against our will can prevent us from being received by God in grace and from being counted worthy partakers of the marriage feast of the Lamb. But not only that, Jesus is the way of salvation. He saves us from all our sins. Salvation is in no one else. And I want you to notice this afternoon how emphatically our Savior spoke in John chapter 14. We heard him say in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Three times there's that definite article also in the Greek. The way, the truth, the life. And then as if that was not Clear enough, our Savior went on to say, No one comes to the Father except through me. It could not be any more clear. Salvation is in no one else. And we think about that a little bit, you realize that this runs counter to the relativism of our own age. People say, well, what's good for you might not be good for me. So we all have to find our own way in life. And it'll all turn out fine for everybody in the end. We all end up in the same place. The Bible doesn't speak that way. Our Savior didn't speak that way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's why the church engages in evangelism. That's why the church engages in foreign mission. Because people need to hear this name of Jesus in order to be saved. Our Savior made that very clear. And it's very interesting when you read the book of Acts that on several occasions, the whole gospel of salvation through Jesus is summarized with the term, the way. I'll just mention one in Acts chapter 9, verse 2, you read that Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, the ambassador of the gospel, Saul persecuted Christians. He persecuted those who belonged to the way. That's what it says there. And you find that very same terminology in a few other places in the book of Acts. So what that tells us is that that term, the way, came to summarize the whole gospel that the Christian church was preaching. Some of you who are a little bit older might remember that about 40 or so years ago, maybe 50, there was a Bible, it was a paraphrase, and it was called The Way. Well, that was a nice name. 
because it summarizes the whole Bible, the way. That's what it's all about. As our Savior himself said numerous times, it all testifies to me. Old Testament and New Testament all speak about Jesus as the Savior. And then think of what Peter said in Jerusalem. He had just healed that crippled beggar who had been dragged to the temple gates daily to beg. He had just healed them in the name of Jesus, the resurrected Savior. And then he said to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders who had crucified Christ and had wanted nothing to do with him, he said to them, For there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. No other name. Salvation is in no one else. And yet we often try to find salvation elsewhere. The Catechism also talks about that. Do those believe in the only Savior, Jesus, who seek their well-being and salvation in saints, in themselves, or anywhere else? Saints. Well, of course, that reflects the time in which the Heidelberg Catechism was written. These saints were super pious believers. And it was claimed that they had lived such a good life that the good works they had done could help other people get into heaven. Even Mother Mary was seen to be a mediatrix between fallen people and the holy God. But what does the Bible say? In 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul writes there, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Again, the text that shows us salvation is found in no one else. One God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And of course, a mediator is someone who stands between two parties. A mediator is someone who brings two parties together. We all recognize that term when there's a labor dispute and the employers and the employees are at odds. And the aim is to bring them together. And a mediator is brought in to bring them together. Well, we were at odds with God. We had rebelled against God. And God sent his only son into the world to be that mediator, to bridge that chasm, to bring us back to God, to reconcile us to the Father. It's the gospel of reconciliation. Paul says, for there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And I find it very interesting that when the Apostle Paul says that, he describes the Lord Jesus Christ as the man Christ Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. We're all different, also as we're seated here today. Christians throughout the world are all different too. Humanity consists of all kinds of different people. We're different races. We're different cultures. We've got different status. We've got different levels of education. We have different measures of wealth. We're all different. 
but Paul points to the one thing we all have in common, our humanity. And that's what the Son of God took upon himself. For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom. So we don't have to turn to saints or to Mother Mary. Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the way of salvation. Salvation is in no one else. But you recognize in this whole tradition in the Christian church of trying to find other mediators and turning to saints who can act as mediators, you find there a concern. Maybe it's not good enough what Jesus did. The Bible says it's good enough. The writer to the Hebrews says that we have access to the Father through his flesh. And the writer to the Hebrews is at pains to show that Christ's sacrifice is the end of all sacrifice and no other sacrifice needs to be made. And we are in the clear with God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's actually a beautiful text. Of course it's a beautiful text. It's in the Bible. But we have favorites. And it's a favorite because John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Never forget it. Those two things. Your forgiveness through Jesus Christ is guaranteed by the fact that God is faithful and just. He's faithful to his promise that if you believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. And he is just because he sent his son to pay the price for our sins. God will not exact the punishment from us when he has already exacted the punishment from Christ, his own son, on the cross. And so be assured that you've got the complete forgiveness of all your sins if you confess your sins and repent of them. You don't need to look for another mediator. but we still hesitate. And so the catechism goes on to say, well, what about seeking our salvation or well-being in ourselves? We're Reformed people, and we know the Bible on this point, and we know our confessions on this point, but in practice, don't we sometimes seek our salvation in ourselves? You sometimes get the distinct impression of some Christians, Reformed Christians, that they're trying to compensate for their sins by what they do. Maybe they even think, well, I can be bad in this aspect of my life. I know it's not really in accordance with the Bible, but I'm going to be super pious in that aspect of my life. You see that sometimes, and you wonder, how in the world can these people be so easygoing about those things and so rigid about those other things? It's because they're trying to compensate. Or we think, 
I've done something terrible. And now if I put a lot of time and maybe a lot of money into the service of the Lord, I might just please God. Isn't it true that we sometimes think like that? But it's a gospel of free grace. Jesus is the way of salvation. Salvation is in no one else. It's not in us. We can't earn it. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, that it's through the law that we become conscious of sin. So we can't hope to please God by living according to the law very strictly in some areas of our lives, or maybe in all areas of our lives, and hope to appease God. We can't. Because Paul says, it's through the law that we become conscious of sin. And the more we understand the law, we more, the more we see our sin. So, don't even try. Don't try to earn your salvation. Jesus is the way of salvation. And if you believe in Jesus, you will be saved. That's not just the message for the world, for the evangelists and the missionaries to take but that's also for the covenant people. No one gets into heaven just by being a member of the covenant. I know we confess that infants who die go to heaven. We're not talking about that. We're talking about mature people. You can't ride into heaven on the coattails of the covenant. You can't say, well, I'm a member of a faithful church. I'll be saved. You need to believe. And when you believe, you are saved. In John chapter 3, verse 36, we hear it like this. That's in that chapter where we read that well-known text, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And the chapter ends like this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, I want you to notice this afternoon, because this is very comforting. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. It does not say will have eternal life. It says has eternal life. If you believe, you have it. Not that you enjoy all the fruit of it today. It's still a broken and sinful world and we still contend with our own evil desires. But we have eternal life. And in principle, we are seated already with Christ in heaven because he's there with our flesh as a guarantee that we will be there with him one day. Our Savior said in John 14, you know the way. And then he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. The church knows the way and the church proclaims the way. Jesus is the way of salvation. And so the message is, Believe in Jesus. Amen.